Obadiah. Let's, uh, let's read Obadiah 1 through, we'll read down through uh, verse 14. And this first section of Obadiah, anyone remember what it's about? John? Yeah, God's punishment to Edom. That's exactly it. Because if you remember the context, we are back around 586 BC. Remember, the Babylonians came and they destroy the capital city of Judah, Jerusalem, and they take many captive. And they destroy the city, they destroy the countryside. And do you remember, why is Edom, also known as Esau, why is Edom in trouble if it was Babylon who attacked Judah? Dominic? Because they helped. Exactly. Because they helped. They participated. And they assisted. They assisted, exactly. So let's read, beginning in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, who says in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though you exalt yourself as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, thence or from there will I bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, how are you cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of your confederacy have brought you even to the border. The men that were at peace with you have deceived you and prevailed against you. They who eat your bread have laid a wound under you. There is none understanding in him. And then verses 8 through 10, that's our focus tonight. Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? And your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone of the Mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For your violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have looked on the day of your brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yes, you should not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither should you have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither should you have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress." For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, or the nations. As you have done, it shall be done unto you. Your reward shall return upon your own head. So, not a very pretty picture. If you remember, we've worked through verses 1 through 7, and we've been considering how God, he has said, he is going to take vengeance on Edom. Um, He starts with the sentence. We normally start with the evidence, and then we convict a criminal and give their sentence after we've heard the evidence and determine them guilty. God starts with the sentencing. He starts with a verdict. Edom is guilty and here is their punishment. And then in verses 11 through 14, um, he's going to circle back and talk about Edom's crime, their, um, their, their evidence against them. 
So looking at verses 8 through 10, we're finishing out here the sentence of Edom. Um, And now we're looking at, this is the second time, verses 2 through 4 depicts Esau as the target of divine fury. Then he switches and shows in verses through, uh, sorry, in verses four through seven, verses five through seven, there we go. Five through seven, he shows how God is going to use the nations to destroy Edom. And now we come back to verses eight through 10, and it's depicting God's justice and the judgment that he will pour out against Edom. So we started out verse 8. He says, Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? So what do we have here? Verse 8 uh, depicts the method of God's destruction. Verse 9 is going to show the effects of God's destruction. And then verse 10 is going to show the reason for this destruction he's bringing against Esau. Follow that thought flow? So pick it up, verse 8. He says, Shall I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom? Um, shall I not in that day? This, grammatically, what, uh, what kind of a sentence is verse 8? Some of you grammar nerds, help us out. What kind of a sentence is that? Is it a declarative? Interrogative. There we go. It ends with a question mark, in other words. It's a question. He says, Shall I not in that day do this? But the, the form of the grammar is in such a way it expects a positive answer. In other words, it's as good as done. This is a sure thing is what it's getting at. Will I not in that day? Well, let me ask you a question. What day? Shall I not in that day? The day of judgment. Dom, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, the day of judgment. It's interesting. Um, Here in the book of Obadiah, he talks about three different days, and they all pertain to judgment. This is the first use of the word here, verse 8. In that day, it's depicting the day of judgment for Esau. Um, When Obadiah writes this, it's a future date. Edom's destruction is yet coming. Then, verses 11 through 14 depict, they remember in the past, the day of judgment for Jacob. You see that in uh, verses 11 through 14. Like, mm, oh, let's see, verse 12. But you should not have looked on the day of your brother in the day that he became a stranger. So there's the day of Jacob, when Jacob, Israel, was destroyed. That's past. But then verse 15 gives us one more. And this one's the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. Not only did Israel... Specifically, Judah experienced God's judgment for their sin. Not only will Edom experience God's judgment for their sin, but the day of the Lord, God's justice will be enacted upon all nations. All nations will answer for their actions. All individuals will answer for their actions. So on that day, specifically the day of judgment for Edom, that's yet, um, that's yet future. But then he pauses He leaves us in suspense. He says, will I not in that day, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This isn't just Obadiah making up a message. This is what God said. But he says, in that day, and then he pauses. He interrupts himself again. We've seen that several times in the book of Obadiah. He likes to interrupt himself, and it it gathers our attention. 
He says, in that day, will I not, says the Lord, will I not even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? Two things God's going to destroy. This destroy, it means to destroy and to remove. To destroy and then to remove it from the land. He says there's two things. What two things are God going to remove from Edom? Did you notice it there in verse 8? Wise men and then understanding. Okay, so one is concrete. You can see wise people. God's going to take them out of Edom. Through God's destruction, there's not going to be any wise people to give Edom counsel when they're, when they're in this war. But then not only is God going to get rid of wise people, but he's also going to get rid of wisdom or understanding out of the land altogether. They're not going to have any wisdom. And this kind of, this gives the details of what we looked at last time at the end of verse 7, where Obadiah said, there is none understanding in him. In other words, Esau, this land of Edom, these people, they do not understand the judgment that they have incurred. Um, Edom, that's the name of the nation, but then why does he call it the Mount of Esau? Any thoughts? Do you remember some of the pictures we've looked at of the land of Edom? Would you say it's mostly grasslands and plains or more mountainous? Pretty rocky and pretty mountainous, isn't it? Remember that? And it's interesting because often... When um, the scripture refers to Edom, it calls it Mount Seir. And there's a reason for that. There was a descendant um, way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 36, verse 20, if you want to look at it. There was a guy named Seir, and his descendants lived in the land of Edom before Esau's descendants did. And that's why it's called Mount Seir. It's named after the guy who used to live there. But now he says Mount Esau. He keeps bringing up this name Esau, Esau. Esau. Hmm. That's going to come in important as we keep going. So now verse 9 gives us the effects of God's judgment. Look at verse 9. And your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed. Okay, so who do you think? Who would be the mighty men of a society? Help us out. Like, say, take the United States, for instance. Who are our mighty men? Think of, like, in a battle context. What, Ezekiel? Military. Military. Yeah, military. I think of, like, maybe special forces, like Navy SEALs or Army Green Berets, etc. Those are our mighty men. And what does God say he's going to do to the mighty men, in other words, the heroes of Edom? What is he going to do to them? Your mighty men, O Timon, will what? They're going to be dismayed. This word dismayed, it's just a, it's a very powerful picture. Um, it has the picture of to be emotionally shattered. They are in total panic. They are so struck by fear, they freeze. They're paralyzed out of, out of anxiety of the judgment and the, the battle that's coming. They see their destruction coming. And all the mighty warriors freeze. Now tell me, in a war, do you think that'd be a good thing or a bad thing if the, if the heroes of your military freeze? Probably not good. If they're scared, how do you think everybody else is feeling? And what happens if your frontline heroes freeze? Well, they get destroyed 
Now your entire army is destroyed. And what then happens to, what happens to the nation? They're defenseless. Hmm. God says, your mighty men, O Timon, will be dismayed. And then the second effect of God's judgment, he says, and, uh, sorry, end of verse 9, to the end that every one of the Mount of Esau may be cut off. They'll be cut off. What does that mean to be cut off? Mr. Andrew? Uh, taken out. Yeah, taken out. That's maybe a modern way we'd say it. They're going to get taken out. It's, uh, it's an interesting word picture, isn't it? What happens to something, like say a branch of a tree, when you cut it off? It dies, doesn't it? It gets cut off and now it's thrown away. It's discarded. It's dead. It's worthless. That's the word picture we get that's going to happen to Edom. They're going to be totally destroyed. They're cut off. Their names are blotted out. No one remembers Edom. It's like they never existed. How bad this destruction that's coming. Um, But look back, verse 9. We are familiar with Esau, this name, Esau being the brother of Jacob. We looked at that back in Genesis. We know the name Edom because that's the name of the nation. But why does he say, O Timon, in verse 9? What is that all about? Anybody ever heard of Timon? It's kind of unfamiliar, isn't it? Remember, we've noticed there are several parallels between Obadiah's prophecy of judgment with Jeremiah's prophecy of coming judgment for Edom. Remember that back in Jeremiah 49? Jeremiah 49.7 uses the same. He says, concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Timon? Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? And it's interesting, once again, there was a guy named Timon way back a long time ago, even before this, back toward the beginning of time. But suffice it to say, it's a place in the nation of Edom. People don't actually know where it is. Maybe it was a city, or if you read some of the other texts of Scripture, it seems like it could be the northern region in Edom. But that's why he calls it Timon. It's this area in Edom, and it's used to refer to the whole nation. Does that make sense? That one, it always, every time I read it, I'm like, well, what's Timon? So now you know. We actually don't know for sure, but it was an area in Edom. Okay, so back in Obadiah, verse 10. We've seen the method of God's judgment in verse 8, that God's going to destroy wise men and wisdom out of the nation. We've seen verse 9, the effects of God's judgment, that the warriors, the heroes, they're going, to be, they're going to panic and be dismayed. And everyone's going to be cut off and destroyed. But then verse 10 begins for us the reason for God's judgment on the nation of Edom. Because remember, we haven't heard what the reason for this judgment is. Verse 10, he gives us the reason. For your violence against your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. It's for your violence. There's two charges God brings against Edom in this section right here. He'll bring some more in 11 through 14. But two primary charges, maybe headings, under which the rest of them fall. So if you look at the very end of verse 9, by slaughter. That's the idea of murder. Slaughter, murder, killing another person unjustly. It's murder. So that's his first charge, is that Edom murdered. 
Uh, then we get in at the beginning of verse 10 for your violence against your brother Jacob. And this word violence is used in scripture for a number of different crimes. It's used in Genesis 16 of emotional abuse. Other places it's used of rape. Um, it's used of abuse of the environment, exploitation of the socially marginalized, murder, etc. It's kind of a catch-all word describing violence in general, all sorts of violence. Okay, so that's the picture. What are the two charges for Edom? First of all, end of verse 9, slaughter, slaughter a.k.a. murder. And then what's the second charge in verse 10? Violence. violence. So we've got murder and violence. For your violence against your brother Jacob. And once again, we just we see why he keeps calling him Esau. Esau was a person's name who lived a long time before this era. He keeps calling him Esau, though, because there was a family relationship between Israel and Edom. It was Jacob and Esau. They were descendants of brothers, and they should have treated each other well, cared for one another. Edom should have stepped up and protected Israel. And remember, we're building off of this idea back in Genesis chapter 12, the promise that God made to Abraham that he would bless those who bless him and curse those who mistreated Abraham and his descendants. And so then when Edom as a nation mistreats violently and murders people from Jacob, they have now broken that covenant that God made with Abraham and they've mistreated his descendants. And so God's judgment is upon them. Does that make sense? So now finishing out verse 10, he says, shame will cover you and you'll be cut off forever. Okay, so let me ask you one more question and then I'll try to stop asking you questions and we'll finish. If they're going to be cut off, here's the picture, the nation's destroyed. There is no such thing as Edom anymore. Okay, Edom's gone. They were cut off, destroyed. In what way is shame covering a nation that's been cut off? The nation's not here to feel shame anymore. Do you see that? Does the question make sense? In what way is Edom, who was destroyed, in what way does shame still cover them? It's people. They're gone. They were destroyed. So we remember it through the book. Mm -hmm. How else? By history? Yeah, so like the historical aspect. Think of those nations around Edom. They've lived with Edom as their, as their neighbor for hundreds of years, and now Edom's gone. Their remembrance is a shameful remembrance. It's not that they're feeling shame because they're gone. It's that there has been shame on their name. It comes from a shame-honor society. Are you familiar? Have you ever heard that before? You don't want to bring shame to the family name, like Mulan, if you've ever watched that movie. That's the society in which this takes place. It's not this inside feeling of shame. Instead, it's a loss of status and prestige. They once were a respected nation. Now their name has been dragged through the dirt. Does that make sense? So he says, shame will cover you and you'll be cut off. But how long does it say Edom's going to be cut off at the end of verse 10? Sorry. Last question. How long at the end of verse 10 does it say Edom will be cut off? There you go. Thanks, Ezekiel. You did answer a lot of questions tonight. Well done.
But notice that. This is an eternal destruction. That's some pretty strong consequences. As we finish, I just want to go over to the book of Romans for a minute. We've been studying Romans. We're kind of taking a break right now. But if you've got your Bible, go over to Romans chapter 5. Because the big picture that we're learning about God here in Obadiah is the justice of God. Now, what is... Sorry, I'm not going to ask any more questions, right? Justice means that God always does what is right. And that means that when someone does what is right, God rewards that. But when someone breaks the law, God does not let that crime go unpunished. That's what justice is. Justice isn't fairness that everyone's treated equally. Instead, other than we're all treated equally and that here's the law. If you break it, you're held accountable. So we see God's justice. Edom broke God's law and God holds them accountable. This is the concept we call sin. Romans is all about this concept that we as human beings have sinned against God. We have committed a cosmic crime in disobeying our creator. And therefore, Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So just like God said that the day of judgment was coming for Esau, the day of the Lord is coming for all nations. That means for us too. We will be accountable for our actions and for our sin. And God is just. He does not let sin go unpunished. But not only is God just, he's also merciful. Even though we are sinners and rebels against his cosmic throne, God still loves us. So Romans 5, that's where I wanted us to look. Just uh, if you're there, Romans 5, we're reading verses 6 and following. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled will be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. Okay, so here's the picture. We were the enemies of God because of our sin. Just like Obadiah set themselves up for God's wrath because they mistreated God's chosen people, Israel. We have incurred God's wrath because of our sin. And yet God still loves us. And just like some people might not really want to give their lives for a criminal, that's what he's getting at in verse 7. People don't even hardly want to die for a righteous person or a good person. We don't want to give our lives and trade it for them. But what about criminals? I don't know about you, but I don't really want to trade my life to save a criminal. They've broken the law. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. While we were God's enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have in Obadiah, we have the justice of God highlighted, 
But we also have highlighted the mercy of God, that God does still love us. And we'll see that more as we go through Obadiah. God affords forgiveness for our sins because Jesus paid for them. God's justice has been appeased because Jesus died for our sins. So the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The only way to be saved from the wrath to come is through Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. Do you see that? How Obadiah is holding forth and teaching us about God, his justice? That comforts us because along with God's justice, it's accompanied by his mercy. But also it comforts us because if you look out at a world that's very wicked, maybe you have been wronged. God doesn't forget. He knows how you've been wronged. And he always brings justice in the end. Any final comments or questions to finish that out with?